Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Hello. Oh, she uh, walk it like a talk it. Walk it. Walk it like a talk it. Walk it. Walk it like a talk it. Woo. Walk it like a talk it. You. Walk it like a talk it. Walk it. Walk it like a talk it. Walk it. Walk it like a talk it. Woo. Walk it like a talk it. Hey. Walk it like a talk it. Walk it. Yes, you are in. Casey, more Casey. Jogging Jesus is back. Again, I said it before, I'll say it again. It's hard to believe he's a full-time engineer. Guy's clearly gifted to be real and raw and, and to shine some light. And uh, for anyone struggling out here, uh, this is definitely a listen for you for encouragement. And by the way, I apologize in advance. The audio quality definitely could be better <laughs> using the laptop inside a sanctuary for this one. So, eh, at least you can make it out. So anyway, here is your play of the day. The play, the play, is no play. of the day. Check this out. Swung on and hit in the air to right. <laughs> and that ball is gone. And it's building. I'm talking about you guys, you guys as a church. But I'm also really excited because we are in an awesome series. We're in Romans 8. And actually, I'm going to be closing out the series. And we have a ton to go through tonight. So we just, we just need to dig in. So let me start out with a question. And you don't have to raise your hands, but who in here has had an experience with God? Like one of those experiences where you, you know that you know that you know that you met with Him. I'll tell you the first time that I met with Him. I was about 15, 16 years old, and I, I started dating this girl, and I, I started going to church with her. I, I've kind of told you about her. She's now my wife. And, and here's the thing. like pastor constantly got up week after week and he would talk about this man who hung on the cross and who died for my sins and who wants to know me and who wants me to know him. And at the end of every service, he would, he would ask this question. He would say, if you want to know him and you've never met him before, if you've never met Jesus, just put up your hand and repeat this prayer after me. And so I would. I'd put my hand up and I'd feel nothing. And so week after week, I'd put my hand up. It was something like 10 or 12 weeks. Nothing. The problem is, is no one ever told me that faith doesn't mean you feel. It means you trust. But I kept raising my hand. I kept pursuing because this God of this Bible says, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking until that door is open. And so I did. I kept knocking. And then something happened when I, when I wasn't expecting it. I was so hungry to meet him that I started going to church whether my girlfriend came with me or not, whether my mom or whether my parents came with me or not. I showed up week after week after week. And then about six months later, our church was having this gathering where it gathered all the churches from our community together. And it was just to worship God. It was on a Wednesday night, and I, I remember walking through the door. And it was, I was walking through the same door that I walked through week after week. But this time, as soon as I stepped in, I stepped into what I can only explain as holiness. Like, I could tell that, that this was going to be a different night. 
And as a 16-year-old, I always made fun of the people that sat there with their hands up in the air, and, and they had tears streaming down their face, and they're singing, and I'm like, what a bunch of losers. Like, there's no way I'm ever going to be like them. Until that night. That night, I felt like there were tethers attached to my wrist. Like, I could not keep my hands down. I could not keep my mouth from singing. I could not keep the tears out of my eyes. And I just remember standing there and just going, I want more of you. I want more of you. This isn't even enough. I know that there's more of you. You guys ever had that experience? Anything like it? Maybe it was at a retreat. Maybe it was in a small group. Maybe it was just in your bedroom. Or maybe you felt nothing at all like me for so long. Well, I can tell you story after story of me meeting with God in moments that I've been laying on the floor where I couldn't move because His presence was so powerful where it felt like the windows were going to blow out of my car. But we're not talking about that tonight. Tonight we're talking about the opposite. We're talking about what do you do? How do you endure when your faith doesn't measure up? When, when it feels like you can't go on? When, it, when it's difficult? Because I was ready for the aha moment. I was ready for the good times. But no one warned me for the bad times. And so you guys can turn to Romans 8, 18. Romans 8, 18. And while we get there, I want to tell you a little bit about the author. Most of you have probably heard of him. His name, he goes by the title of the Apostle Paul. Now I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul is leading us through how to deal with with the highs and lows of faith, because this man has had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He was once, he was once a persecutor of the Christian church. He would travel far to all these different villages just to grab people by their hair, drag them back to where he was and imprison them. Sometimes he'd have them stoned to death. And then he met Jesus. He had this encounter with Jesus and it was so brilliant that his eyes were blinded. And then he had to go to this, this village where he was going to pursue killing these Christians. And a man prays for him. And as soon as, as, soon as he gets prayed for, it's like his eyes are able to see again. And I experienced that. I experienced that, that that day that I walked into the church. Like I spiritually felt like I was blind. And in a moment... I could see. Like, when I left that church, the only thing that I could say to the pastor is, I'm different. I'm different. And I imagine that that's what Paul must have said. Because after he could see, rather than persecuting the church, he started proclaiming Jesus everywhere he went. To this day, he's the greatest evangelist that the world's ever seen. He traveled over 3,000 miles, not by planes, trains, and automobiles, but on his feet, on horseback, and by ship. And just like he was persecuting the church, many people started persecuting him, and he went through some of the worst trials. Here's his, here are his own words as he wrote to the Corinthian church. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I worked harder and longer, endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often been gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been shipped or been whipped many times without number and faced death again and again. This is a man who is writing the words that we're about to read tonight in Romans 8.18. And he's writing to a church that's also being persecuted at this time. And so let's go to Romans 8.18 and let's see what he has to say to them about suffering. Yet what we have suffered now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Let's just stop there for a second. This man who just talked about how he's been imprisoned, how he's been beaten within inches of his life, this man who many times when he wrote letters, his hands were shackled together and he had, to, he had to contort his hands and try and write these letters. And I just imagine these shackles tied around his wrist as they're cutting in and blood's dripping down and the wounds on his back were rubbing up against the cement walls. And this man is saying, what I have seen, what I witnessed with Jesus, what I'm going through right now is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to see when we see him face to face. Let's keep reading. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his real children are. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. These words were written 2,000 years ago. And he's talking about groaning. Like, the earth has been groaning since the moment Adam and Eve took a bite of that apple and divided us from God. But let me ask you, do you feel that groaning? With fires raging on the West Coast, with COVID all around this world, with with the racial injustice, with the social upheaval, with, with whatever's going on with politics. I don't even know what's going on there. Do you guys feel this groaning? Like, who's going to step in and fix it? Like, who's going to be the adult and actually make things right? I, I don't want to make this political, but let me just say this. No matter who gets into office in a couple weeks, they're not going to fix what's broken. Because what's broken is not a physical thing. It's something inside of us that's spiritual. And only Jesus can fix this. Only Jesus can fix what's broken. Let's keep reading. Let's go to 23. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, that's what Aaron talked about last week, as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from the sin and suffering. That's going back to this groaning, like our sin is what's causing us to groan, it's what's causing this division. But let's jump down to 28, because there's a lot here, and so I need to jump around, I'm sorry. But most of you have heard of this, 20, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. You guys heard this verse? I mean, God's going to 
work all things together for the good of those who love him. And sometimes I think we, we get this verse off because we think that it's going to be immediate and we think that it's typically going to be for our good, like our suffering. I love God, so my suffering is going to be for my good, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's for your good. I think, I think it is for your good in the way that it will refine you and it will point you back to God that you need Him. But I think the way that God typically uses it is for others. So if you look at most charities that have taken place, it came out of a person suffering, a person getting cancer, and so they don't want another person to have to go through that, so they start raising money so that they don't have to go through it. That's typically how charities start up. And this forms relationships, and this, God is all about relationships, you need to know that. And so that's part of suffering. But I want to give you another example, a biblical example. How many of you have heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm guessing most of you have. I mean, we, we know about how these three men, they wouldn't bow down to the statue, and so they're thrown into the fire, and, and God steps in, and he saves them from that. But did you guys know that these aren't full-blown men at all? That these are, scholars estimate, they're somewhere between 13 and 17 years old when they're first taken out of Jerusalem. I mean, they're godly Jewish boys, and they're taken by this evil king called King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're forced to travel 540 miles to this evil land. And when they get there, they're castrated. I don't even know if you guys, all of you know what castration is. But for you guys out there, it means that some stuff was snipped off that's gonna prevent them from having babies. And so anything that has to do with castration, just know it's not a good life. It's not a cakewalk for them. And then they're indoctrinated into this society that is all about worshiping themselves and it's all about worshiping sexuality and it's all about worshiping everything but God. And when we see the fiery furnace come into play, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have now suffered, have endured in this land for eight years. And when they think that things can't get any worse, that statue is built, and the king tells them, you better worship it, or you're going to die. And what scholars tell us is, as soon as the music started playing, roughly 300,000 people in the nation hit the ground at once, except for these three men. They stayed standing, and in a rage, the king has them thrown into the fire. And that's when we see Jesus step in. That's when we see God step in and save them, and they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke. Do you see the cop? Well, and let me, let me say this. So the result of that was these 300,000 people in this nation immediately, immediately moved from worshiping the statue to worshiping the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like they went from worshiping this statue that was made after this evil king who forced them to worship, and they started to worship the God who allows them to worship, who calls them, who is going to suffer for them. Do you see the cause here? The cause is these men suffered and they, they endured and they pushed through, and yet they got to the end of it, and it was, a, it was beneficial for the whole land, this land that would have never known God otherwise. 
Now, here's the thing. What, what if God's doing that right now? Like, what if the trials we're under right now is for the church to be able to stay standing no matter what comes upon us so that we can show this world what Christ followers really look like? Like, this isn't, this isn't just what Christ followers do. Like, we don't just come and sit in a building. Like, we stand up and we actually do stuff. We actually change this world. These teenagers change the world. And we hear about them still today. But here's the thing. When I first became a Christian, I read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I thought, man, my life's going to be good. It's going to be a cakewalk no matter what comes upon me. God's going to step in, and I'm never going to feel any pain. But Jesus doesn't promise that. He says, if you follow me, you will go through trials. And I'm telling you this now so that you don't think that something crazy is, gonna, is happening to you. Which leads me to a few weeks ago. So a few weeks ago, I, I can only describe it as a depression that came upon me. And I can't put my finger on exactly what caused it, but my house is going through some stuff right now. Like, my mom just got, got diagnosed with pre-cancer, and they can't remove it because she has a blood clotting disorder. My grandma's cancer is back for like the third or fourth time, and we don't know what the next couple months or a year are gonna bring. My wife and I had to start wrestling with, do we go there and visit them in their compromised state and potentially make matters worse by getting them sick or getting our kids sick? And the weight of this started pushing on me, and I found myself at one point just laying on my son's floor. And I'm so disassociated from my body that, that my kids are playing on me, and I can't even move. And externally, I feel like I'm in this infinitely deep hole, and I can't get out. And internally, I'm raging, like I have this fire inside of me, and I want to burn down someone's world. I'm mad at my wife, I'm mad, mad at my kids, I'm mad at the situation, I'm mad at God. And this man that I just told you about, who has had all these mountaintop experiences with God, is now laid out on the floor, and I can't get up. I'm so exhausted from this depression, I'm so exhausted from the weight of this world, I can't get up. That was my fire. What's your fire? What are you guys going through right now? Maybe your parents are getting a divorce. Maybe there's addiction in your home or abuse in your home. Maybe it's depression or anxiety, or maybe you just feel like the weight of this world is making you feel like you can't Make it another day. And even right now, I, I just wanna I just wanna say this. I wasn't planning on it, but I feel like God is distant right now. I feel like God is far off. I'm still walking through that darkness. I'm still walking through this feeling of, I don't have the energy. I want 
to say this, and I, I really mean it, and it sounds so flippant, and you've probably heard it so many times, but whatever your fire is, you're not alone in it. Because Jesus is right there with you. But this is a problem. It's typically when you're in the fire, you don't feel him. You don't feel him there. Which is why he calls us into community. This is why he calls us into fellowship. This is why he says it's not good for you to be alone. And this is why we put you guys in small groups. It's not simply so you guys can, so you guys can learn better. We do want you to learn better. But it's so you can lean on each other. So you can lean on each other when times get tough. Because let me tell you something. If times haven't gotten tough for you, they will. And in fact, it was my group that helped me get up off of that floor. It was guys in my dudes group who reached out to me and were praying for me and were pointing me back to Jesus and were encouraging me. And they were Jesus for me when I couldn't feel him. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to run far, run together. This is actually my crew that I run with. They've helped me get through so many marathons. They've encouraged me through so many marathons along with my, my brother Tom over there. And, and let me say this, life, you probably have heard this before, life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. You need to have people like this next to you, running alongside of you, so when you feel exhausted, when you feel like giving up, you have people to help carry you to the finish line. Which brings up the next question. Why doesn't God just take away suffering? Like, as a Christian, I hear from non-Christians all the time, if God loves you, why does he allow good people to suffer? Well, this deserves far more than a two-minute answer. But if marathon training has taught me anything, it's that the pain adds to the joy of the finish line. This, was, this is what I mean. Like, the longer the training gets, the more difficult the marathon training gets, the more painful the race is, when it feels like my legs are about to fall off and I can't take another step, and then I finally get to that finish line, and the person puts a medal around my neck and I hobble over to, I hobble over to the tent, and there's all these treats, there's all this food, all these drinks, and people are cheering for me, people are congratulating me, and I finally get to sit down, I look at what I've endured, and I look at what I've went through, and what I've made it through, and how God has showed up time and time and time again, and how my crew has showed up time and time and time again. That's, that's what I think that heaven's going to be like. I think heaven's going to be like when we, when we get, when we cross that finish line of this life, we cross through those pearly gates and we see Jesus there with his arms out wide and he gives us this big bear hug and he puts the medal around our neck and he looks us in the eyes and he says, well done. So proud of you. So proud of you. We're going to look back on the joy and the pain and the suffering and the struggles and more joy of this world and it's just going to add to the joy and 
the worship. And actually, this is what it's going to look like. Like, this is my friend when he got to the finish line. Like, I think that that's what we're going to be like. It's just going to be like, yes, yes, thank you, Jesus. I've made it. I've made it. But let me, let me close with this. I think it's easy for us to look at stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and think, man, it's so cool that God stepped in. And he, and he saved these people from getting burned up. And he saved these people from, from even smelling like smoke. And it's a cool story. But you and I are living in a story that's far greater than this. Because Jesus didn't simply get into the fire and protect us from temporary flames. He went to the cross and he saved us from eternal flames. Because here's the truth. This world is divided because of our sin. It, it, our sin hurts people. It, kill, it leads to death. And it's weighty. And yet Jesus, knowing all of that, he still took on all of it on the cross. To show us that he loves us, that he loves you. And so that we can look at that cross when we're going through stuff and we can go, he's for me. He's for me. And this God that didn't run away from the suffering but stepped into it, only so that when we are sitting on the couch and we're crying, he can come and sit next to us and say, I know. I know what it feels like to have a broken home. I know what it feels like to be betrayed. I know what it feels like to feel like I can't face tomorrow. I know what it feels like to want to die. Because that's our God. That's why he went to the cross. So that he can know what we go through. And I believe it's a cross that allows Paul to write these last words in Romans I guess we'll go 35 through 38. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamities or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No powers in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that nothing can separate you from him? Do you believe that it's the same God, like when you come to the acknowledgement that it's the same God who saved Israel out of Egypt by parting the Red Seas, and it's the same God who saved Daniel from the lions, and it's the same God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and it's the same God who's standing in this room right now saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm taking care of all of this. No more depression, no more anxiety, no more COVID, no more political games, no more racism, no more hatred, no more death, no more condemnation, none of it. It's done with because I hung on the cross and I paid for it. 
That's my God. That's my God. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you want to? Do you want to be sure? Like, do you want to feel like you're not in the waves of the sea anymore? Do you want to be solid on the rock? There's no greater relationship that I've ever had. Let's pray, you guys. Father, there is suffering in this room that I can't even comprehend. There are hurts that I don't want to even know. But you know them. You know all of them. You know the fears for today and the worries for tomorrow. You know those who want to know you, but they've never, they've never taken that step to just ask you into their lives. They, they've never, they've never felt you. They've never had this experience. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you come and wrap your arms around them today and that they can feel you palpably to know the God who gave it all to them. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Word, if you have a teenager or college-age kid, would you share this with them and then discuss? It's so important. Depression and anxiety are more real and more prevalent than ever these days. How do I know that? Because more people are on antidepressants these days. And if they're not on that, then more people are medicating with alcohol or, or weed. Uh, there's just so much going on. And if you don't have hope, it is hopeless, right? And Casey is preaching hope. And if you're feeling hopeless, you're not alone. I, I keep saying it again and again and again. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make things better, right? But brighter days are ahead. That's not my promise. That's God's promise. And, and, and if you need to, put, put this message, uh, Casey's message, in the back pocket there, Romans 8, 28, and keep memorize that verse and keep going back to it because God will make good things out of bad for those that seek him. And if you're having hesitancy on, on whether to share Knox, they're going to look at me weird. If you can't have these deep conversations with your loved ones now, when the most trying times of our lives, when can you? No regrets in this life. No regrets. Worst case scenario, you will be known for caring too much. Ending on a song note, this was the song that was concluded, uh, uh, Casey's sermon. This is the live version of Cornerstone by Hillsong. Please add it to your when life gets tough and the fires get hot. I need a rock. I need a refuge. A Cornerstone playlist. Now go. Share. Serve. Love. And shine some more light. Blood and righteousness. 
Christ alone. 